Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prensing, episode 466. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsor, thanks, goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Today's special guest returns to the Slow Flowers podcast after her 2017 appearance. Leslie Bennett is an award-winning garden creator whose Pine House Edible Gardens designs and installs beautiful, productive, edible landscapes that provide bountiful harvests of organic fruits, vegetables, cutting flowers, and herbs, and that creates space for more beauty, peace, and connection in clients' lives. Pine House also maintains gardens, harvests and processes garden-grown food, and teaches clients the skills to do that themselves. As a Black, woman-owned business and multiracial, queer-inclusive, majority female team, Pine House Edible Gardens stands for more than just healthy food and beautiful landscapes. And this is one reason I invited Leslie back to the show, to discuss her firm's commitment to making gardens accessible to all through equity pricing and the Black Sanctuary Gardens Project. As Leslie writes on the company's website, we believe an edible garden can be a transformative space to grow and practice the better ways and world we want for ourselves and for our communities. In 2017, Leslie joined the first Slow Flowers Summit in Seattle as a speaker on the topic of inclusion and representation in floriculture and horticulture. She's definitely a mentor of mine as I strive to make the Slow Flowers community an inclusive, supportive, and accessible place for black flower farmers and black floral professionals. Slow Flowers has had the privilege of sharing our resources to support anti-racist programs and to support new members through our Professional Development Fund for Black Farmers and Florists. One of the programs we were moved to support financially is the Black Sanctuary Gardens program that Leslie began a few years ago through her business, Pine House Edible Gardens. I wanted you to learn more about this program because I believe it is a model that anyone can follow anyone who wants their creative enterprise to be guided by values and mission. As I watch how Leslie uses her talents and resources to support her beliefs, it inspires me to want to do the same with Slow Flowers. So let's jump right in and hear from Leslie Bennett. After our conversation, which we recorded on August 3rd via Zoom, 
You'll hear a little transition music and we'll segue into the original interview I recorded with Leslie in 2017. That was intended as a preview to introduce this talented designer to our Slow Flowers Summit audience. And you'll enjoy hearing how her fascinating journey brought her to owning an ornamental landscape design business that incorporates food as well as flowers into every project. Check out photos and links to all of Pinehouse Edible Garden's places in today's show notes for episode 466. You'll find everything at deborahprinzing.com. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to have a return guest, Leslie Bennett, and Leslie is the owner of Pine House Edible Gardens in Oakland, California. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Deborah. I'm so glad to be hanging out with you again today. Absolutely. So uh, so great to, to grab this time, and I've been wanting to ca- catch our community up uh, on what's happening with you, people uh, who are li- uh, loyal listeners. We'll remember hearing Leslie on the podcast in 2017 when she was a speaker at the first uh, Slow Flower Summit in Seattle, and we we tried to make the rounds of all of our speakers, and it was a wonderful interview. That will follow this one as a replay, but there's lots that's happened in the last three years with Pinehouse Edible Gardens and with Leslie Bennett. You've had a lot on your plate. Um, and all all exciting. So congratulations, first of all, on being featured in Earth in Her Hands by Jennifer Jewell, our mutual friend. That was thank pretty you. sweet. <laughs> yes, it really was. And thanks to the alphabet, you're the first person in the in the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, it's, it's convenient. It's worked out for me over yeah, the years. <laughs> Bennett, top of the list. And um, you also received the uh, American Horticultural Society Great American Gardeners Award for Landscape Design this year. And the only sucky thing that I can imagine is you had to accept it virtually. Uh, yeah. But congratulations on that honor. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was really exciting. Um, and yes, hopefully I'll get to go do the, the River Farm in-person uh, visit at yeah. another date. They owe you a do-over. Uh, <laughs> but Alessa, give us a snapshot of what's happening um, with Pinehouse Edible Gardens right now and, and this year, because it's unlike any year you've had before. That is the truth. Um, uh, let's see. It's it's been a it's been a big year. There's just been a lot to. I think as a like all small business owners, um, this has been a year of extreme adaptation and resilience. Um, both my husband and myself are small business owners, so we are just living it. Um, and I think with shelter in place and um, coronavirus. Um, really just figuring out how to run a business safely um, has been a, was a huge, huge effort. Um, I think really coming to terms with the fact that the work that we do building and creating gardens is essential work. Um, that was actually a big question for me in March. I was like, oh, do we shut down or we, do we continue? It, wait, did you, have realized- to, did you have to like get permission from California that you were essential? I did check in with the local, um, with the county uh-huh. health folks um, and determined that I was okay. essential because we were growing food. And so we stayed open and that was um, both a huge relief and a, um, and just a, a huge responsibility. I have 10 employees now um, and keeping them safe, uh, making sure that they're able to just keeping them safe. Yeah. That was that was a big thing. And then well, your and yourself and your clients, like there's so many variables. 
so many. Yeah. So it was, it's been a really big year just coping with all of that. Um, so, you know, so many really nice successes, um, visible successes, I guess, again, with the, with the book and, um, the, the 75 women book, um, the award, um, and, um, yeah, so much around, uh, civil rights and racial justice and, um, as a black woman, um, in this country, um, I feel that's, that's first and foremost for me. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's been a lot. Um, and, and fortunately through this, through all of that, um, uh, Pine House Edible Gardens has grown, um, and keeps on growing. And yeah, it just feels like there's a lot of, I guess it's grown and, and deepened. Um, I think, like I was saying, realizing that I always knew, but really realizing and actually just deciding it was a very big decision to keep my team working and yeah. um, deciding that we are essential workers and that the work we do is essential um, was actually a pretty huge existential moment for me of like, okay, like I believe I've always believed in what we're doing. And now like, okay, I am really believing in this. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I think there's, it's been a lot of deepening in that oh. way as well. And for your design work and describe like you're a, basically a design build firm, right? Is that, that how you That's approach right. it? Okay. Mm-hmm. So have people come out of the woodwork wanting gardens that, that, you know, you're going, Oh, where were you last year? Or where were you five years ago when I really needed the cash flow? Like, is that kind of <laughs> happening? Uh, definitely. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think, um, I mean, the, I, I, I've been thinking that the business has tripled or quadrupled in the last, uh, it had been feeling like that. Um, and I actually just looked at the numbers and they have, like, oh. it's been a huge, 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 um, demand for our services, um, because everybody's interested in growing food. Resiliency is such a, um, like real, uh, at hand topic. Uh, and also people are just outdoors and, and, uh, or wanting to be outdoors. Um, so yeah, there's been all kinds of folks coming out of the woodwork. Um, and you know, for the most part, I think that's a positive thing. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's really good. I think people are really valuing, um, their connection to nature, their, um, ability to access it and connect to it in their, in their gardens. Um, and, uh, they're connecting to the idea of growing food. So that's been great. Um, and then I think for me, there was also a real, um, a really painful side of it, which was just seeing that, um, you know, I had a huge, I still have a huge number of inquiries. Um, and so many of them are from wealthy white people who, um, who, you know, they canceled their vacation and they have a garden and, you know, they're, they're ready to update it. And I, I, and they wanted it yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, and I, I, I applaud that. I understand that. That's fine. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to support them. Um, but the, it became really, I guess the, um, the inequity of the situation and the fact that, um, while all those phone calls are happening and all that, um, all those resources and land and time and privilege are available to make, um, certain um people's uh shelter in place existences better um you know the fact that black and brown folks and um essential workers uh and people living in cities often um but mostly i would just say black and brown folks um aren't having the time or the land or the money or the um privilege to um to get to do that with their garden spaces and so that became 
um, actually really painful to, um, to be at the receiving end of just to, to hear how much really actually it was pretty shocking just how much money was available <laughs> to, to put into this. You know, I had folks calling me from, you know, a lot of tech CEO people calling and they were, they were ready for their $200,000 vegetable garden, right. Um, their right. $200,000 homestead. And, wow. um, and that makes sense. That's like absolutely what I think they should spend their money on, um, converting the land that they steward to organic food producing care um, is something I support, but that can't be happening at the same time as um, other folks are getting nothing. Right. I remember when I, like the first time I went scouting gardens with you uh, back in the day, you, you told me a story basically that by designing edible components to gardens, it kind of tricked clients into having to be organic in their practices. Like it was sort of, no, well, you're going to be eating this, your family's going to be eating this, so why would you spray it or whatever? And it's like, you've had to always be ahead of the market to create change in people's, you know, practices as gardeners. Now you want to, yeah, now you want to take it to the next level and say, okay, you can have your six figure garden, but how can you enjoy it when others have nothing? And, I mean, I don't know if that's really yeah, how it comes no, I, across. I wholeheartedly, yeah, actually, I love that. And I think it's so interesting, just that transition that, um, I don't know, I think, <laughs> I think for a while, um, people, uh, largely white liberal people have felt like, oh, like the revolution is me growing food and like being organic. Um, and that is part of the revolution. And I think, yeah, there was definitely, you know, 10 years ago when I was um, starting out, probably when we walked through that garden uh, or those gardens, um, there was that element of like having to like almost trick people into like stepping into that part of the revolution. Um, and now it's, it's actually always been this way, but um, I'm ready. And I think a lot of other people mm-hmm. are ready. I've been ready, but um, is to like, okay. And actually it's not just growing organic food. It's actually making sure that we all have some and making sure that this, um, the, the pie is sliced equitably. Absolutely. Um, and wow. so then it's sort of now tricking people into that next step. And obviously there's no real trickery going on, but, um, but yeah, and really um, for a long time, I think for the last, um, probably for the last two or three years, I've been um, building that into my costing framework and setting aside small amounts of money um, for all out of all my projects. So uh, tell me some of the ways that you're starting to, I don't know, bring people along on this, on this mindset and get them engaged uh, if they're your big ticket clients or your small ticket clients. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think, you know, for the last two or three years, I've been, um, I guess, really practicing on building my values into my business and my values are around racial justice, around centering black people um, and, um, really decentering whiteness. Um, and I've been building that into my business sort of, um, quietly and letting, um, I think everybody who works with me knows that that's what I'm about. Um, but I've just been having line items in all of my projects, whether they're maintenance clients or installs or design work, um, where I have a small amount that's set aside to go to supporting, um, and subsidizing projects for, um, for, black women, especially in black communities, um, through the black sanctuary gardens project. Um, and then in the last six months, um, I've just become a lot more explicit about it and just said, Hey, like when you invest in a garden with pine house, you are investing in supporting black women and black communities. And, um, and isn't that awesome? We can all get some, 
Um, when you and say, if it's not awesome, then that's, you know, you can find someone else. Yeah. Sorry to me to cut you off. When <laughs> yeah, you fine. say line item, like, are you actually putting it on the invoice or on the bid or that, I mean, the client is, mm-hmm. you have that conversation. Yeah. Well, it's in our, it's in our internal costing document as okay. a real line item. And I generally don't uh, share that with clients. I just tell them the cost. Um, but when clients ask, um, I share the, share the spreadsheet and it's very visible and they can ask about it. Um, and then on my website, it says, you know, every project has a, um, uh, equity is what I, an equity tax, um, a small equity tax attached to it. Um, and so, you know, they're aware as much as they want to be and, yeah. um, and I'm increasingly talking about it and telling folks, cause I think it's, um, it's an exciting option, you know, exciting opportunity to be involved. Cause I think, you know, we're all, we're all living in this world. It's not our fault necessarily, um, but our, our collectively, sorry, there is there, I don't mean to actually excuse folks, but I do feel like we're living in this structure, which has been handed down to us and which we are, um, supporting, actively supporting and, and inactively supporting in a lot of ways. Um, but it's hard to figure out how to tear it down aside from actually giving your stuff away, which I totally advocate um (laughs) but you know that said when you want to put a garden in um you know I think it's really it's really helpful and I think it's an exciting opportunity for folks with privilege um especially white folks with white privilege to um to know that they can be simultaneously um supporting themselves supporting people in their community well I remember Leslie when you did your first installation that you called a black sanctuary garden and it was um at the time did you and you partnered with a nonprofit and you saw it as sort of a standalone project is that what to describe that and and how has it evolved from from there sure um yeah and actually the, so the very first black sanctuary garden um was actually a, a garden um a small backyard for a um a woman in my uh, black community here in oakland um and basically you know she i had sort of committed to myself earlier in the year that I just really wanted to be serving more black women. Um, and she had part of what she needed to make the garden happen. And then she didn't have enough. And I just, you know, I was like, you know what, like I can make this happen. And I'd been sort of setting that small bits of money aside, or I'd made enough profit from different projects. Um, I think that was actually before I was setting money aside, but I had made enough profit. My business was stable enough where I felt, you know what, I can commit to making building one garden per year for a black woman, regardless of their budget and just fill in the blanks, like just take something out of my profit line. Um, And that's what we did for the first project. And it was really simple and it was um, incredibly gorgeous, um, totally transformative. Um, It was a super fun process. um, And just really, it was, it was really nice to be able to, I think, what I took away from it was that I really have these skills that, that I can share. Like I know, like, as a designer, like I know expensive ways to transform a garden and I know um, really cost-effective ways to transform a garden. And I think probably all designers know that, like you can like create a punch with, you know, whatever with like zinnias or with like imported <laughs> orchids, you yeah, know, right. like, you can do it. And it's a choice, like what that budget line is going to be. Um, and so to have that in my head and then to also know, okay, and I can get wholesale costing for this. I can get this really inexpensively. I know that it's way, um, you know, just, I can make choices that, um, that still to deliver a really strong design product. Um, but with cost-effective measures. And so it was so cool to be able to put all those tools to use and just like be super creative about making this awesome space. Um, and then to see her live in it. Um, and I mean, 
it's been so cool just to hear how she, how it's totally transformed her life, um, especially now during shelter in place. Um, and um, I've got, I'm our black, we are part of the black women's freedom circle is the name of the group. Um, we meet monthly, actually now a lot more often, um, but we've been meeting monthly for the last four years. And a lot of those meetings happen in her backyard. So it becomes this also communal space um, that gets shared with other black women and is a site for just gathering and connection. Um, the work that this particular client does is also super community oriented. So there's just a lot of um, personal benefit to her and community benefit all through, you know, what was really in the greater scheme of things, like a really small subsidy, but it made it possible for her. Um, anyway, so that was the first one. It was just really awesome. And I decided, you know, I can do a whole lot more of these. And um, we started another project with the Lena Museum, which is a nonprofit. Oh, that's um, the one I was thinking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was our next, that was, so the first one was 2018, the Elena Museum was 2019, and um, that was a larger, so actually a small-scale garden, but with a, um, with Elena, which is a, they're an artist collective and uh, museum dedicated to Black diaspora culture, um, and so they had this amazing warehouse space in West Oakland, and um, showcased all sorts of different Black arts and artists, and um, created a community, um, social art events, just super super high uh high vibes of like community and aesthetics and like culture and artistry it was just an amazing space um and unfortunately so so we decided to make a garden to sort of bring the experience outdoors and then unfortunately after we did some fundraising um the owners of the building decided to they had a long-term lease but they they nixed it and um but decided to develop it into luxury housing, which is, you know, the story of, story of um, East Bay or of all of San Francisco, right? Yeah, exactly. Slash the story of this country, slash the, slash the story of Black people. Um, Gentrification, so, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, so that space left and we've been looking um, looking for spaces since. Um, oh, so that and, might you know, that might re, re-emerge yeah, in the future. absolutely, yeah. The money is still being held and, um, you know, we've looked for, we've looked for Black-owned land in Oakland, which is, um, it's, pretty horrible how hard that is to find um but we've been looking at church black churches and um, privately owned land and had a couple almost close moments um and now are collaborating with the um the black cultural zone in east oakland which is a larger organization which has a piece of land and that may be a potential option um so anyways we're working on it and that's an exciting um development for our first that would be our first sort of public community uh, publicly accessible space um but you know as all public projects are they're just complicated with a lot of players and um i'm sure it will get there but it will take time um and so meanwhile i just decided to keep going and i guess in 20 2019 i decided to Oh, I decided that I, I've, I'm a black woman and I need a garden. <laughs> so I Could you be to, your own client? <laughs> yes, exactly. I decided this is ridiculous. I can't be helping everybody else and not help myself. So, um, so I decided to build a garden for myself. Um, clearly self-funded with no um, no funds from other folks. Um, but yeah, created the space and um, I'm so thankful for it. Um, so thankful. I just took photos in it last a uh, couple weeks ago. I'll be sharing this soon. And I'm so excited just to share um, images of myself and then also the um, the previous client. Um, I think part of it is, cre- part of what's exciting about Black Century Gardens is 
creating the gardens and actually having that super local personal impact. Um, and then the other part is that I just feel I've always felt since I got into gardening that there was such a shortage of um, imagery of yeah. Black people in gardens. Right. You know, in fact, the majority of the people in the world who garden are black and brown people, but we never see those people in our, um, in, in our imagery. I've, I've loved the recent, um, sort of shifts in the Instagram, uh, uh, or I guess in my own follow who I follow on yeah. Instagram and I think who everybody follows. I've actually seen a lot of black people gardening. Now, yeah. Which is awesome. All those young, uh, millennial influencers who love houseplants. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. So that has really changed my mood when I pick up Instagram and I'm, uh, aiming to contribute to that really. And, um, create really just exciting, visually inspiring images of Black women in their gardens. And so there's a portrait series that goes along with Black Sanctuary Gardens. And we have a great one for Maka. Um, There's now a portrait of me. You'll be seeing it soon. And um, in this year now, uh, this year I started doing uh, major fundraising for Black Sanctuary Gardens. um, And I've gathered almost $30,000. And I'm sort of planning on around $10,000 per project. Um, and we've got three women lined oh, up and I'm awesome. hoping to build three gardens by the end of this year and more, as many more as I can get funds for. Um, and, you know, just create the spaces, um, enjoy that sort of that transformative effect. Like we all know what a strong, powerful effect plants have on our lives. Um, and then get to document them next spring and oh. just share that with the world and, and really hopefully impact you know, what imagery is out there and, and really create a, a library of images that are um, compelling for folks to look at. Wow. I, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind's eye, I remember, I'm remembering when I was able to interview you in 2017 for the Soul Flowers podcast. And my husband, Bruce, was with me and you invited us over and we sat in your backyard and recorded the interview and I remember I forgot you were there yeah and I remember you (laughs) kind of you were kind of gesturing to this corner saying well this is where I'm going to you know have you know this (laughs) the the vegetable garden and this is where it's going to be the family living room and like you had you had that design in your mind it's true it's really true good for you to do it it's so true it's like so many designers neglect their own spaces and who needs sanctuary more than you for goodness sakes like you're you're carrying all this this care and concern and, and love and thoughtfulness for all your clients, uh, past and present and future clients. And, uh, you've got to, yeah, you got to feed Leslie. So I can't wait Definitely. to see those photos. Yeah, I'm so excited. I, I love that you were there. I'd actually complete. I I just remembered eating delicious bagels with yeah. you once we went inside. <laughs> right, there was a whole part where we sat in the in the garden. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty yeah. special. And um, <laughs> little Zita wasn't not born yet, so it was just it was just Samuel. Just little Samuel. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm really excited that you're taking the Black Sanctuary Gardens to the next level, and I I'm so grateful that there's this campaign. Soul Flowers was thrilled to support it in a small way. And I would love to have our listeners know about it. So we'll share the link to that, um, that page on GoFundMe, because it's like you, you really, your only limitation is your capacity to crank out gardens. I mean, you probably have a waiting list of people you would like to design gardens for. Um, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, thank you so much for uh, for sharing and supporting. I, I I really am so excited about Black Sanctuary Gardens, and it just feels. Um, I think it's always been necessary. I think um, COVID has really highlighted the necessity. Um, I think most of us know the only thing getting us through is nature 
gardening and like whatever version of that we can get access to. And it just feels so incredibly urgent to um, to make that more available to people. Do you think this is something that could could roll out nationally? Like if um, there's a kind of a template for how to manage a, in one city, Oakland, could somebody from another city, ad- you know, adopt that model and, and try to, you know, execute their own local yeah, community? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah, because I think I've reached, I've received so much support, um, both financial and, um, you know, just other, you know, people asking how they can support. And, um, you know, the truth is I have to, you know, I'm, I'm, I got to run my business and earn the money I need to, and I don't make any money off the Black Sanctuary Gardens projects. That's your donation. Do. Your design is your exactly, donation. Right. Right. I'm donating my time and my team's time. Um, so, you know, I can do, I started with one a year and now I'm like, okay, I'll do like one per quarter. I could do four a year. I could, you know, maybe even do a little more. Like, you know, there's, there's ways to, to make it work, but I can't do, I can't do it all the time. Right. Um, so, you know, I reach my limitations and I think, um, but I think there's so much potential to do so much more and for everybody else to do more. And it's been interesting. I've heard from a lot of contractors and designers who want to help. And I think a lot of it right now is me having the bandwidth to kind of organize them and tell them what to do. So, you know, all in good time, I'll either figure that out or get some help to do that. But I think um, nationally, and I think what's, you know, so important for everybody to understand is that, um, you know, this crisis, um, COVID racial justice. Um, so it's, it's, it is ours collectively to turn around. Yep. And I think every small business owner and I think every, every service provider, I mean, we're, we're operating within capitalism and the limits of it. So there's only so much that we can do without government um, leadership. But I think, you know, within the realms that we have our space, we can decide to center blackness. We can decide to, um, to actually financially adjust our financial structures to um to support black people actively um and i think that um i think that every landscape contractor and designer in the country could decide to um to support and make you know dedicate one subsidized garden for black um people you know and that that would be very transformation i do want to emphasize that it's it is optional um there are plenty of Black people who are already gardening. There are plenty of Black people who um, are middle or upper class and can handle handle their stuff. Um, but I think that it also shouldn't be need-based. I think that we all know that every Black person who has anything has worked 10 times as hard for it um, and deserves a piece of rest yeah. <laughs> as yeah. much, like uh, very, very much. So I think that's super important is just, um, I think, everybody can, I would like to see our entire industry um, really change the way that they are working and then to do it, um, to do it with a, in a careful and informed way. This is not like saviors coming in to help black people. This is actually um, giving back what has been taken. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And, um, and being like, the whole point is to create safe sanctuary spaces so it's you know being really careful and like not being an unsafe person coming in and violating space so I think it's something that just needs to be done carefully and with information and um you know in partnership with probably local black groups would be a great kind of temper that yeah and I think I think that you're you're setting you're setting your standards and your desired approach. And that is going to be a super great role model for people who are watching and following along on your social places and seeing your gardens get published. And, um, 
maybe adapting it with their own philanthropic goals for their community. But there's so yeah. there's so much. I love what you said about the fact that we all have, are getting through this time because of our gardens and or the flowers we grow or, you know, the food we grow. So it's mm -hmm. we don't have to explain that part to people. They get you better be getting that just by looking out your window. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think at least the, the knowledge is there. And again, it's, you know, even if you don't have a garden, like it's your house plant. Like there's a reason why house plants are so popular right now. Like we really need them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. Neat. So I think there's just so much potential and um, it's truly a place where, um, where I think like the work that people are trying to do um, to, you know, to work through, um, to work through uh, racism can be actually practiced actively. Like all this anti-racism work is not just, you know, reading and talking about it. It's actually taking action. And a lot of it is putting your money where your mouth is and saying, okay, well, I'm going to commit to this financially. Um, and it might not be that comfortable or easy. And, you know, I might mess up. I might actually be Awkward. really problematic yeah. in the way I do this. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'll do better the next time. Yeah. Um, and I think I just, I, I am trying to be really explicit and open about that with Black Sanctuary Gardens. Like, this is not me. Like, I don't, I don't need to be the only person doing this. I would, um, I'm hoping, trying to make myself a model and make it public how I'm running my business and structuring things so that um, other folks can find ways to, I think, I think once you realize if, if like many floral designers and garden designers and people sort of in this world, um, many of us have exclusively white, wealthy clients. Um, and if that is unacceptable to you and it is unacceptable to me, then you have to get real about how you're going to fix that. Yep. And that means um, talking about structural racism, talking about real ways to deal with it. And I mean, and none of this, like actually, none of what we're doing, like actually replaces reparations or like real actual addressing of what's going on. But I think it's, um, it's being, um, it's like really actively trying to shift um, the white supremacy that we're um, we're all operating within. Right. right, right. It's very encouraging to hear you talk about the fact that in it, this is it can be such an individual project, and everyone can do one you know positive thing for their community. With you know, yeah. with even awkward you know crazy kind of uh, you know baby steps and then, you know, maybe you get a setback, but baby steps. And uh, so anyway, I'm not putting that very well, but I love, I love the role model that you are. And I love that you share your story with the Slow Flowers community, because I do consider you an official uh, Slow Flowers member. In fact, I'm sitting here thinking, why don't I just set up a Pinehouse Edible Gardens membership? Because all, you guys... <laughs> You make flower arrangements all the time for your clients, right? We do, we do. I know, and I feel like I've been I've been wanting to sign up for years. And, no, and no, that, no. That's why I got to hire somebody no, else. No, this right? is going to be my this is be my contribution. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but um, I, I just think that's always been integral to your practice of sharing the bounty of what a garden is with your clients and and kind of bringing them into this uh, you know mindset that that that's what gardens are for is the, all the senses. And you've been so good at that. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. And I really, it is that, and like really like not allowing ourselves to dull our senses to the fact that like, Hey, why do I have this and someone else doesn't Right. And like not turn away from that. And also 
I, I can't say it enough, like just really being aware that like, this is not charity. This is giving back what's been taken um, and really being humble and um, being super aware of that as, as in your, when, whenever folks are operating in this space, like just being aware that that's actually the story. We're talking about land that's been taken away from indigenous people and generational wealth that's been taken away from black people. And um, here we all are gardening and growing and living with that, with that history. Um, and I think naming that and then operating very humbly within that um, knowledge, um, you know, will take us forward. And yeah. it, it is it goes hand in hand with growing the food and making the flowers and um, living closer to the land. Um, it's sort of, it's helping to make it all whole. It, it is. It's a full, it's a full holistic way of looking at it. And I, what the one takeaway I, I'm so going to cherish from what, what we just talked about is the idea that we love our gardens and everyone deserves a garden and we can do something about it if we have yeah. privilege. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I really, I good takeaway. All right, my dear. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go because your day is short. That childcare is going to end pretty soon. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and uh, Leslie, um, maybe you will be able to share a few photos, uh, uh, little sneak peek of your backyard that you're willing to share since we've talked about it. Um, I'm so excited. I don't too. want to put you on the spot, but a few, if you have some updated photos, we'd love to put them in the show notes. Uh, oh, that'd for be today's so cool. Yes. Okay. Thank you, my dear. I hope I see you in real person sometime when you're in Seattle or I'm in Oakland. I don't know if it's going to be 2020, but maybe 2021. I hope so. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, they, these are precious, precious hours. And I'm really glad to spend them with you. And um, I also just appreciate that you've always used the Slow Flowers platform to um, to provide a equitable and inclusive space and um, take the conversation forward. So thank, thank you, you for that. Take care. Right. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. in the backyard of our guest today, Leslie Bennett. Hi, Leslie. Hi. Thank you, Bruce, for that. You're not going to wrap. <laughs> not, not yet. So <laughs> Leslie is the, um, the, the genius be behind the business called Pine House Edible Gardens, based in Oakland. I've had great chances, many chances to write about your work, and um, we just invited ourselves over for breakfast. Thank you. It's been so lovely. Thanks for coming <laughs> over, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, it's great, and I really wanted to have Leslie on the podcast um, because for, I should have done it years ago. I apologize for that. Uh, but you're um, going to be one of our featured speakers at the upcoming Slow Flower Summit, which I'm very excited about. We are too. And so I want to just have a chance to introduce you to the, the people in the Slow Flowers world who might ask, why is a woman who has an edible gardening business uh, care about flowers? And um, maybe you can describe your business and, and what sure. kind of design work you do. Uh, sure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah so Pine House Edible Gardens is a uh, design uh, build um, and garden maintenance company mm -hmm. that really helps people to at heart, I think, develop a relationship with their land. Um, and I choose the avenue of food and flowers to help people to connect with the, uh, the land that they live with. And you have clients with tiny urban patches and big suburban estates. I mean, mm -hmm. you kind of run the gamut, right? Yeah, the full gamut. I feel like everybody, no matter um, 
uh, no matter what their land is, um, deserves a relationship with it. And um, and I'm, I'm I think that accessibility and sort of meeting people where they are is um, at the heart of true gardening. Everybody mm-hmm. is a gardener. Um, mm-hmm. It's just sort of helping them to see it. Well, there sort of was this moment in time that I think after maybe after nine eleven, where uh, the pendulum swung really far into food gardening. Yeah. Um, and I always felt like I was a sellout because I was pretty much an ornamental gardener. <laughs> pretty much into flowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder if what you've seen about that, that journey that somehow at that time, I don't think beauty or aesthetic had anything to do with mm-hmm. food gardening. And you've, you've tried to re- redefine that. In your work. Yeah, no, that's a really, that's an interesting uh, time period you bring up. It's also, it's the time that I got into gardening. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I was working as a lawyer, I remember during the 9-11 period. And shortly thereafter started, um, I guess I was part of that that time. I started, <laughs> I was like, what's going Escape on? Escape from yeah. the office. <laughs> yeah, and really, I think just trying to um, do uh, work that I felt mattered and sort of ground myself and, um learn how to be more practical um, and do things with my hands. I was, mm-hmm. I, was uh, I felt very overeducated and very unuseful. Um, so I started spending weekends on uh, organic farms uh, in England where I was living, uh, woofing, um, and just loved growing, helping to harvest asparagus and English strawberries and cute English crops um, <laughs> on the weekends. It was, I really loved it. Were you in graduate school then? Um, I was working at a, Engle- at a law firm oh, in England okay. at the time. Oh, wow. Um, so sneaking off to the English sneaking countryside. Sneaking off, yep. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was really great. And I, I and sort of over the over three or four years, I s- graduated from that to then apprenticing on organic farms um, in England, Jamaica, and then uh, Northern California, Mendocino, mm-hmm. um, Mendocino County, and, um, and Grass Valley. And... Um, Really loved growing food. I felt like I learned so much about growing food. I became, like, pretty useful. I was like, wow, I can do things. I could feed myself. Um, And I really was looking around these farms and really felt like there was a – I was really looking for the beauty. Mm -hmm. Obviously, food has its own beauty. But I really felt like um, there was a huge opportunity to be more purposeful about bringing together aesthetics and production and making – making the farms be places that are really attractive and inspiring for people, not just because of the food, but because of all the other things you can do with the land. Interesting. And that was more what the farm needed. And now you've kind of translated that into residential settings primarily, that people's, these are people's gardens, not their farms per se. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that's what it was. The farms at that time and sort of the organic food movement had a very utilitarian feel to it, um, very like rejecting mainstream society mm-hmm. um, for very good reasons um, mm-hmm. and um, really focusing on okay let's like save the world let's get food let's right. and which is I'm totally with but I also I don't think I think beauty really matters and I think that when you're helping people the people who need help they deserve beauty as well right um, so I right. feel like it's really important to pursue both That's and right. so um, so I learned how to grow food and then when it came to be my time to sort of do what I wanted to do, I realized, wow, I really want to create spaces that are um, productive and beautiful and, you know, feed the body and the the spirit Um, or or the eyes, really. I find that looking at beautiful things refreshes my spirit. Um, And so if I were ever to create something for somebody, I'd want it to look really um, inspiring for them. And so through your business now, um, 
uh, Pine House Edible Gardens. I mean, edible is sort of maybe why people see that and hear, get a referral to you or, or mm-hmm. learn to read about your business and think, oh, I want an edible garden. I mean, is mm-hmm. that generally like the, the, the scope of work that they initially ask you to address or... I, I think, yeah, a lot of people do um, come across me in that way. And then I think a lot of people are um, are coming to know me as a person that they can f- seek out to. Um, I, have, I have a new client who they, they have like a fairly uh, elaborate estate and wanted fruit trees in their front yard, but they really wanted it to fit in with their overall landscape, which is a pretty stylized, like amazing garden. Mm-hmm. But um, we're in California. They wanted to put their land and their water and their resources to productive use. Mm. Um, so they that. called me to um, come in and create the space. And it's going to be really cool. It's like sort of a, a, a Persian. The family has a Persian background. So it's got a, a Persian feel to it. With, um, yeah, with um, specific crops like pomegranates and citrus and water and sort of things that are meaningful to that family and productive. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I, I'm smiling thinking about the photos uh, and vis- of gardens that I've seen of yours and also visits to gardens that you've designed that I've had a chance to write about. And this summer, I, there'll be two articles yeah, it's exciting. about Leslie Bennett Gardens that I had a chance to write about. And they're both coming out in July, so people yeah. can find them. I'll be everywhere in July. I know. <laughs> well, one will be, um, yes, it'll be in Seattle, too. One will be um, in Garden Design Magazine about mm-hmm. an amazing garden in Atherton that is... Uh, I would say that was a pretty stylized Mediterranean mm-hmm. garden that you integrated useful plants throughout. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gorgeous. The photos are beautiful. Yeah, thank and, you. Um, and then for Better Homes and Gardens, um, in July, there'll be a garden about, or a story about a garden you designed that was for a textile artist. Mm-hmm. And that was all plants that you could extract Do- dye from, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, natural dye gardens. Yeah, so I feel like both of those gardens... Um, they are super productive. There's lots of vegetables, fruits, herbs, uh, lots of cutting flowers, um, lots of natural dye plants. Um, they're both spaces that the clients use with their family and friends that sort of draw them outdoors, that are outdoor living rooms, right. they, all those they things. They can be like entertaining spaces too, right? Yeah. And that I think really um, add meaning to the clients' lives. The, the Atherton Garden very much builds on my client's uh, Italian family heritage and connects her and her children and her grandchildren to the foods that her family, that are important to her family. Um, and then the, uh, the natural dye plants um, are such a meaningful practice for the, uh, for the Berkeley client. Yeah, so yeah, no, it's, it's really cool to be kind of, to have arrived at a place where I'm able to create a space that really sort of approaches those three um, goals. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, We've talked a little bit about your, um, in times that I've been able to interview you, about this sort of new facet of cultural landscapes mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. really uh, interpreting people's heritages. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, how did that come about? Just because of the nature of who your clients are? or Yeah, and I think also um, the nature of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of a product of a blended cultural heritage, uh, English and Jamaican, um, and really just being... I think I've always just been hyper aware of um, culture and race um, in this country and internationally, um, and just aware of how that sort of feeds our experiences mm-hmm. and how uh, how uh, how although it's not always represented in the uh, media, everybody does garden um, right. wherever you are, and so gardening belongs to us all. How do we sort of show that, and um, how do we how do how do we I think gardening is it really helps and heals us all, and it also can help us to know more about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so making a garden just, I guess, be of service. 
in that way. Yeah. To all of us. It's interesting. I just wrote a story about a, a like centuries old garden in Tennessee where there were these pass along plants mm. that came from great grandmother and yeah. that people derive meaning from that kind of sense that this you know, this peony is the, you know the I don't know, the offspring of grandmother's peony. It's just exactly. like I'm the offspring offspring of grandmother. And mm-hmm. I food food in, in the in the garden really carries that tradition as well. And Yeah, it does. And I, I think I in that same note it's in my own experience, it's always been so core to who I am. Like, I, I know that I'm English. I know that I'm Jamaican, and these things inform who I am. But what does that really mean? Actually, like, all of our cultures have really strong agricultural roots and traditions and rituals, some of which we've lost track of, some of which we're in touch with. Um, but I think the closer you get to the agricultural um, culture being, yeah. I think, the really important part of the, the word culture, agriculture, yeah. um, like, the closer you get to yourself and who yeah. you are and just having a little more... Um, I think just strength. Like, when you know who you are, you can really um, stand stronger and taller. Yeah, live in the world. Yeah. But it's interesting that you were saying that the Bay Area, especially East Bay, maybe Mm -hmm. Oakland, like, there's so many blended cultures. And people are maybe having small backyards. And they want to do something meaningful with those backyards. And that's, Mm -hmm. they're finding you. Yeah, especially if they have children. Um, And also, you know, there's a lot of learning. When you marry somebody from a different culture, it's not like you know it all. It's it's hard. Like, a cross-cultural relationship is is, um, hard. And there's things to learn. So I think a garden is a cool place to to learn those things about each other. Yeah, it's happening in kitchens all over. So why can't it happen in gardens? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Thanks for making that connection. Well, it's interesting. Like, what you're alluding to when every culture has an agricultural heritage and a history and gardens, that's the universal truth Mm -hmm. that should bring us all together Mm -hmm. to speak the language of horticulture or of plants plants that feed us Mm -hmm. yeah or just like earth care generally yeah exactly oh yeah go down that path i know just throwing that one in but no it's all there so i think it's yeah it's really cool to be able to um help i think just regular folks with small backyards sort of bring all those things together and have a place that they love grow food grow flowers uh the flowers i think are so key like that took me a while to um, yeah. understand. Yeah, I want to ask you um, about that. They're, they seem to be a bigger part of your design uh, mm-hmm. portfolio now. Yeah, and I always thought they were so important, but I, I frankly didn't know that much about them. I trained as a farmer, and there were a couple flowers. Um, but, I mean, I, I think they just, they've just called me in. They're so fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they're really, I think, uh, I think gardening and cooking and flowers, uh, floral arrangement, are some of the most accessible um, ways to improve your life yeah. um, and just really make you happy on a daily basis. The, cow- the flowers that I cut and bring indoors make me extremely happy, as do the herbs and the fresh vegetables mm-hmm. that I cut and bring indoors mm-hmm. and cook with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so you, I love them. You, when you um, finish designing a garden, you often have a, a regular return mm-hmm. arrangement, like a maintenance contract, right? Or, yeah. Um, and is that when you're showing or working side by side with your clients, showing them how to harvest? And, mm-hmm. and is that where the flowers come in play? Or yeah, um, for most of my most of my garden, yeah. I mean, I think the thing with growing food and flowers is that there's um, usually a pretty big learning curve for people because most people are so divorced from the practice of knowing how to do these things. Um, but a lot of people want to learn, yeah. so I do a lot of coaching, training, or just working alongside. Or when people are too busy. Um, which is also like a very uh, 
Bay Area big thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, then that's totally fine. And we do it for them, but also educate them along the way. So mm-hmm. it's, we come in and we'll send a follow-up email or we'll meet with them and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what's happening in your garden over the next week or until we're back. Look, like the lilacs are about to bloom or check your blueberries. The blueberries are ripening. And just really helping people to have a, um, a relationship with their land so that they know kind of what they're looking for in the landscape um, and have a sense of, oh, it's spring. That means like... The daffodils are blooming or, oh, it's summer. That means that my um, peaches are getting ripe. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of helping people to connect to the, the time of year and yeah. how that relates to their to their garden. And then you're, you're adding a beekeeping service, I understand. Yes, yes. So how did that come about? Just uh, it seems like a, the next step. Yeah, right? super. Yeah, I feel like so naturally. And I think that's what I've been loving about my business in the last um, couple of years. It's just sort of um, I've been... Uh, slowing things down and just letting things really grow um, organically. And um, a lot of my clients were asking about beekeeping, and then uh, one of the gardeners on my team um, knows how to do it. So I asked her to uh, to take that on, and then it's been really fun for me because I've been tagging along and uh, learning about the bees, and another one of my gardeners has been taking a class, and she's our assistant beekeeper. So we're all um, just learning more. It's like the next layer of food production. So then clients would um, maybe want to produce their own honey? And that's, mm-hmm. wow. Well, and they have so many, so many uh, flowers on site already mm-hmm. that are pollinator attractors mm-hmm. and feeders for the bees. And then they already have fruit trees and annual vegetables that will benefit from the bees. So it's like, uh, yeah, of course you should yeah, have bees. I love that. Yeah, no, so it's really, it's really nice. It's really nice just to help people um, to learn really how doable it is. It's yeah. um Every, we all need help to get started, but it's um, it's not that hard. And um, as long as you have a teacher, that's us, um, you can do it. Well, somehow it feels like there was this moment in time, and, and we talked about post-9-11, but even since then, there's sort of been this yearning to have meaning in life, mm-hmm. uh, it, you know, in the midst of living a crazy, you know, tech-connected world, mm-hmm. or to not just look at a square patch of lawn, but have something that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's just, uh, in the in the zeitgeist of, mm. of maybe homeowners that they, I don't know, not everybody, but maybe here on the West Coast, it's just yeah. like people really are waking up and saying, oh, I've got this yard and it's doing nothing. Yeah. Is that yeah. the kind of client that comes to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think it's definitely people who are seeking some sort of, uh, a layer of meaning mm-hmm. um, in their life. And then also just really basically like we're going through a drought. Um, so if you're going to use your water, use it for something productive. Mm. If you are fortunate enough to have land, then put it to good productive use. Um, I don't think that anybody is really into mowing their lawn anymore like, yeah. and, and they shouldn't be. Um, well, I've learned some interesting things from you over the years that you've, uh, in, in times that I've had been able to interview you, and one is that you have this way of going into an existing landscape and helping people s- replace ordinary landscape, mm-hmm. ordinary landscaping trees and shrubs with some kind of food production, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's that seems to be well received. Like people just yeah. didn't know that that was a choice. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's completely, and it kind of ties back to what we were talking about with the farming. This whole idea of like, well, if you're not going to be like frivolous and like with your lawn and your uh roses let's your say hedge. yeah <laughs> and your privet hedge then uh then you have to be super utilitarian and you have to do row crops and like mm. 
grow beans all day right, long. Right, right. <laughs> and then eat can, beans all and day then, long. And then can them all. all <laughs> yeah. Summer. No, and I think it's so funny because it kind of, it, it always reminds me of like the 70s and health food. Like that used to be like health food stores with like mung, mung beans. And like it was kind of like really. Um, Unfun. <laughs> yeah, it was not fun. It was like a sacrifice. It was like a sacrifice practice to yeah. be like a better person. Yeah. And it was like very like self-righteous and like oh, there are a lot of things. And like really it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> I mean, as Whole Foods has shown us, and that's like a whole nother barrel of worms, which I shouldn't open. But I mean, I do think it's interesting how um, the natural food movements grew into something that looks like Whole Foods, which is shiny and fun and everybody wants to be Hip, there and it's like yeah. inclusive and pretty and maybe not inclusive but anyway well not there's enough things. paycheck at least <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and there's there's I shouldn't talk about whole foods because that's complicated but um but I do feel like in general the idea that like you don't have to pick um one or the other it's not um there's a lot of gray zone mm-hmm. of um where you can be um I think progress in the right direction mm-hmm. is really important I yeah. come from a back I was I studied environmentalism and um, environmental justice. And um, I think in general, it doesn't make sense to pick apart um, or tell people they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think any progress in the right direction deserves to be um, validated and commended. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully we just take further steps. Mm-hmm. And if I don't think most people want row crops. Mm-hmm. Um, they want a yard that looks... Um, the way they want their yard to look and they also want their neighbors and friends to appreciate it and not make fun of them. So you're going to create a space that, um, that is acceptable mm-hmm. and, um, and you can open people's eyes to the fact that, um, that it can be more than they thought it was, that mm-hmm. it can actually be organic. It can actually be food producing. It can be flower producing. They don't need to go buy those things at the store anymore. Um, and I think that that makes them, uh, one, just like happier, makes them feel better it feels really good to produce your own things. It feels really good not to have to go to the store and buy the food. It feels great not to have to like buy Trader Joe's flower arrangements, like Mm -hmm. do your own. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I think it's kind of like a, once you've sort of done that or once your kids start to understand, Oh, like we're going to like pick the lettuce and the, the ends of it are going to go in our compost bin and then we're going to feed the soil. Um, you start to understand like basic environmental lessons, like, oh, it's all a circle. Like whatever trash we throw out the window lands in the soil and then the vegetables eat it and then we eat it. So some of those basic lessons that you might otherwise be hitting people over the head with start to sink in in a more palatable way. I love that. I'm chuckling because I remember you saying that like once you get a client hooked on wanting Mm. to grow their own food, you're subversively yeah. Turning them into an organic gardener. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. then they, why would they want to put chemicals on right. anything in their garden? Right. And if you're integrating, if you're growing, you know, peppers or eggplants near their roses, why would they spray chemicals on their roses when they're going to be eating that pepper as well? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think just putting it all together and, like, stopping the compartmentalizing and, like, the uh, justifying uh, yeah. and just saying, yeah, this is all us. Like, we're living here and we're eating here and we're being here and this is our source of uh, source for everything. Um, just helps people to understand. Well, I was um, so thrilled that you said that you'd be willing to come and be <laughs> one of our speakers at the summit. And the summit is um, really just a one-day chance to talk about um, kind of ideas that maybe aren't in the mainstream of the cut flower industry, mm-hmm. um, be it eco practices or um, trying to um, design in a new way, mm-hmm. or maybe look at what the sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the floral industry is. And you have um, agreed to join the panel that Chantal Aida Gordon is going to um, moderate, which I've been calling the diversity panel, but now I realize that's not the right term. And mm. we had a 
we had a t conversation about yeah. this where we kind of agreed that maybe the panel is more about in inclusion mm. than trying to diversify horticulture and floriculture. Right. Um, I feel like you've really been, um, you know, being in in the landscape industry, you've kind of been in the vortex of this, meeting people and mm -hmm. trying to identify and include people in yeah. who who are people of color in horticulture who maybe are overlooked and should be asked to speak or asked, yeah. written about or whatever. I mean, what, mm -hmm. what, what's been your experience in, in horticulture? Were you kind of often the only non-white person uh, yeah. running a landscape design business? Definitely. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'll say, first of all, I'm uh, so thankful that you've created this space, and I think it's so um, important for anybody who has any platform, um, and that's majority um, non-people of color mm -hmm. um, who have a platform right now to sort of um, try and use some of that space and platform to give attention to these yeah. issues. I think they're so important, and I think that... Um, it's so necessary for us all to move forward for us to be having these conversations. Um, and yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Diversity is a funny word. Um, I've, I guess I've, I've been having my own journey um, around race and gardening and life <laughs> over the last couple of years um, slash life uh, lifetime. Um, no, and I think it's uh, in general, um, the, the concept that I'm, I really like is, um, sort of recentering things. Mm. So, and I think a lot of um, default in American culture is sort of a very white, um, middle-class centric um, viewpoint. And I think sort of the idea of decent, and so even diversifying or even inclusivity mm -hmm. is still like, okay, this is a white centered space and we're being, in, we're including. Right. As so opposed to saying is this too. is a black centered space or a POC centered space mm -hmm. or a uh, non-race centered space. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I think that's. Um, I love that. Yeah. And it's easier to talk about than it is to do. Right? I mean, right. they're all, it's, it's, um, it's progress and it's Baby not, steps. yeah, it's yeah. not easy, but, um, but yeah, so I think what even we call it is, is so important and we might not have the right word for it, but I think what's so important is just to name that mm -hmm. like, this might not be quite the right word and we're working on a, another word yeah. <laughs> and maybe invite people to that conversation. Yeah. That's going to be really great. Mm -hmm. And I, I, we just had a conversation recently about, um, the speakers at the San Francisco Flower and Garden Show and mm -hmm. you were. I was commenting to you that mm. I noticed how many faces, uh, non-white faces, were on that speaker lineup, and mm -hmm. you told me that you knew that there was someone intentionally trying to yeah. recruit speakers, and yeah. I was thrilled with that. Yeah, no, so was I. I thought it was a really, um, really welcome and really um, interesting shift. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of different people of color included and speaking about different topics, and um you haven't seen a lot of that before. No. Yeah. And so. growing food and growing flowers is universal and um, shouldn't be invisible. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I definitely have, um, I, uh, there are definitely a couple of other uh, uh, black women uh, doing garden design and horticulture, um, but there's not very many and we're not uh, very highly represented when you open a garden magazine you generally don't see black women no. um but in fact um many black women garden <laughs> and uh you know it's so interesting i live here in east oakland in fruitville and it's almost all people of color in this neighborhood um black mexican asian and 
every single person on my block in my neighborhood grows food, grows food extensively. I mean, looking around here, you can see. I peeked in your neighbor's backyard. She's got a farm. Oh, my god! I mean, she's not joking around. (laughs) There's eight fruit trees. There's bok choy for days. And um, and that that's just that's just reality. That's just the truth. We are all growing food, yet it is not being represented in the media. And um, and I think, you know, in a way, like, that's fine. If you guys don't want to see it, you don't need to see it. On the other hand, I think there's a lot we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. So it really makes sense to um, put it out there. Absolutely. Include, include everybody. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And we aren't going to solve every question in an hour. <laughs> in an <our> hour. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm, just, I'm just thrilled that you're my friend and that we've gotten to know each other over the years and that... Uh, you said yes to come to Seattle and sort of share your story with people. And I, I really want the listeners of this podcast to see your work. Thanks. So will you share some photos of some of the gardens you've designed uh, that I can put on our show notes? Absolutely. Awesome. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm also very thrilled to be your friend and be included. <laughs> and just the, to have this conversation. I agree. Yeah. We're not going to solve the problems in an hour, but we're going to um, talk about them and make it a conversation for people. And I think that's... Um, that's a start. Yeah, it's more. It's it's it. That's yeah. all we can do. Yeah. <laughs> it's it. Yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen Leslie's work, you will see it um, profusely in the pages of magazines this <laughs> summer. And I'll make sure I have a links to all your social places so people can follow you. you. Because I cannot tell you how every day it feels <laughs> like when I look at your Instagram feed, there's a there's some beautiful bouquet, and you hashtag slow flowers, and I'm like, I love this woman. <laughs> now you use other hashtags too, though. But um, no, I, I do a lot of slow flowers because I'm I'm totally into it. <laughs> And it is. It's so fun. I mean, I love growing the food, but the flowers, um, when you have a whole garden at your disposal and you go to foliage, dried chive flower seeds, the uh, sort of more traditional cutting flowers. The I mean, herbs. Yeah, the herbs. There's just, it's endless. And um, it's really fun. And we all kind of overplant, so there should be enough to, <laughs> to cut. So there's way too much to prune. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Uh, well, Leslie, thank you so much for a wonderful morning. And Thank um, you. This has been wonderful, and we will um, have all the links to Leslie's uh, world at DebraPrincing.com for this episode. Thanks so much for joining my conversations with Leslie, our most recent one, and the replay of episode 302. One thing Leslie said that struck me so powerfully, and it needs to be restated, the whole idea of the Black Sanctuary Gardens project is not charity. This is giving back what has been taken, land, generational wealth, historic and systemic racism. All of these things are top of mind, and moving forward, I want to operate very humbly in support of these values. The current GoFundMe campaign for Black Sanctuary Gardens is close to reaching its 2020 goal of $30,000, but the fundraising continues because this will be an ongoing design and installation series. You can find a link to that campaign in our show notes at deborahprincing.com if you wish to contribute. You can read more about Black Sanctuary Gardens at Pinehouse Edible Gardens website, and I'll have a link, but I'd like to highlight a few details here. 
Leslie writes, inspired in part by Alice Walker's naming of the garden as a site for black women's spirituality, creativity, and artistic work, landscape designer Leslie Bennett and her team work to design, install, and care for a series of low-to-no-cost black sanctuary gardens for black women and black communities. Visual curation and photographic documentation of the women and communities in their garden spaces is a secondary integral part of the project. As Leslie wants to create imagery that more accurately and inclusively reflects the relationship of black women and communities with their gardens. The primary goal of Black Sanctuary Gardens is to create garden spaces for black women to rest and be restored. This space is so needed given the racism and sexism that black women experience as part of daily American life. A further goal is to define, uphold, and celebrate black community spaces amidst gentrification and displacement of historically black communities in Oakland. And that could be said for many other cities in the U.S. Black Sanctuary Gardens is an exciting opportunity to develop gardens that are reflective, and as Leslie says, reflective of our brilliant black community and supportive of our specific cultural experiences while offering real sanctuary for black people to commune, converse, collaborate, rest, heal, and be restored. After we recorded today's interview, Leslie and I continued to discuss the many important reasons for centering a business around black wellness, creativity, and community. It has inspired me to find words to state the importance of these values in the Slow Flowers movement. While I'm proud that our stated manifesto values sustainability, local sourcing of flowers, and supporting family farms, I realize I want more ex- to more explicitly and actively support equity in our black farming and floristry community. Look for an update to the Slow Flowers Manifesto in the coming days as we put values and beliefs into words. Our next sponsor, thanks, goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. Now more than ever, your Slow Flowers membership gives you an important story to share with your community and your customers. Our monthly Slow Flowers meetups continue this Friday, August 14th at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And you're invited to join us virtually via Zoom. This week's guests include Gina Thresher of From the Ground Up Floral and Tonnelly Gruder of Salty Acres Farm. They're among the instructors in a new virtual floral conference taking place in late August called the Flurvana Virtual Summit. You'll hear more from Gina and Tonley and learn how you can grab a free registration for the four-day conference, August 23rd to 26th. I'll be speaking as well, and we'll have all the details in our meetup. So to join the meetup, complete with giveaway prizes and lots of good networking, follow the link in today's show notes, and I'll see you Friday. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 632,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. 
Our final sponsor thank you goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers into floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.